0: You have to make sure to push yourself a lot and you need to make sure to, at the same time, keep things together, keep them in balance. And a lot of people, you know, we aren't trained or equipped to do that. So that's where some entrepreneurs step up to the plate and really make it happen. And that's where others realize they aren't cut out to be an entrepreneur.
1: Alan has started and grown several multi-million dollar businesses. His mission is to help you do the same. Welcome to the Business Growth Pod, building the future one entrepreneur at a time. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm Alan. I'm a family man, an attorney, and an entrepreneur. Each week, we provide resources and advice to help build your business. Are you ready? Then let's go. Hey everyone, welcome to the Business Growth Pod. I'm your host, Alan Draper. Very excited about our guest today. He's a man after my own heart. We share a lot of interests, especially with the startup entrepreneurs and our passion for kind of that process and that phase of business. So, I am excited to welcome Steve Hoffman. Steve is the chairman and CEO of Founder Space, and Founder Space is—it's interesting. Listen to this: is a it's a global startup accelerator with over fifty partners in 22 countries. So I'm excited for the conversation and I'm excited to welcome you to the show. Thanks for joining us today, Steve.
0: It's fantastic to be here.
1: So tell me a little bit about how you got involved with Space and what your motivation was for you know, getting into that sector.
0: Well, I've been an entrepreneur. I did three venture-funded startups in Silicon Valley and two bootstrap startups. So I've been wow. in the trenches. I know exactly what entrepreneurs go through. And after I was done with my third venture funded startup, my friends started to come to me and they were like, "Steve, how do I do this? You know, how do I put together an investor deck? How do I pitch investors? Can you look mm. at my product? Everything." And mm. I started to hold meetups, groups, which we called Founder Space Roundtables, and we brought all mm. these entrepreneurs together. Marketing people, lawyers, venture capitalists, angel investors for advice. And it just grew from there. And now we're a global organization helping entrepreneurs all over the world. And I love it.
1: That's awesome. And it's one of those, you know, it's a phase that people need a lot of help with, right? A lot of hand holding and things like that. Because entrepreneurs, we have an idea and something that we're passionate about and we just want to go for it. We don't have all the details sometimes. And so it's great that there are resources out there like founder space where people can go and learn all the things that they're not familiar with.
0: Yes. And, and I have been, you know, I've worked with so many companies now, hundreds of different startups. So I see patterns where they succeed, where they fail, when they're on the wrong path. I can usually hopefully intervene early enough to get them back on the right path or pivot to the right direction. And I captured a lot of this knowledge over the years, and I actually put it into my new book published by HarperCollins, Surviving a Startup, where I distilled all the things that I have experienced myself and that I've seen other entrepreneurs go through and the solutions they've come up with. That's
1: fantastic. I love that. I actually haven't read the book yet, but I'm going to. I'm going to order it today actually.
0: Oh, fantastic. Because it's
1: yeah, it's in line with a lot of the things that I'm trying to accomplish and you know, there's so much that can be done to help startups and I have a lot of people reaching out to me. I don't have a system. I don't have a group like Founder Space. I think I'll get there someday. Mine is, you know, it's not super efficient. I'll have one-off conversations and it takes a lot of my time actually. But, you know, the needs of startup entrepreneurs are vast, right? I have people, everything from, hey, is this idea going to work to, hey, you know, I've already raised a couple million. I need to get to, you know, the next series or whatever it is. You know, what's my next step? And, you know, I, I love the process. I love that feeling of, hey, I don't know if we're going to make it, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put everything forward to make sure we do. What are some things that, you know, without... I don't want to kind of ruin the, you know, the surprise behind su- surviving a startup. But what are some of the things that an early entrepreneur needs to make sure that they have in place? And I'm talking about maybe even pre-launch to make sure their chances of survival or or success are higher?
0: Well, here's a couple things that you absolutely need to think about. So the first thing is most entrepreneurs out there think, I'm not going to take the leap. I'm not going to become an entrepreneur till I have the big Mm. idea, that epiphany, Mm. that thing that's going to change the world. Well, I will tell you entrepreneurs out there, that is a myth. Most of Mm. the great companies out there did not start with some big idea uh, from the beginning they usually discover that big idea along the way. And more often than not, they start in the wrong direction. And they actually, it looks like they're going to fail, and then they hit upon what transforms Mm. their business. Now, let me give you a super simple example. So we all know YouTube. When YouTube founders started, they weren't thinking, we're going to build the largest broadcast network the world has ever seen online. They weren't thinking that. They were actually running a video dating site, a video dating site, (laughs) which was failing because nobody wanted to date by video. So they were running this failing site and then they wanted to share a large video file with their friends of a party they had and they couldn't do it online. But they said, well, what if we upload it to our video dating site and just share the link? And the light bulb went off. That single thing transformed their business, you know. And then it became YouTube started as link sharing for file, large video files, and then it became a destination because everybody could upload them there. You look at Slack that you know has been such a huge hit. Mm -hmm. It started out as a game, a game. Really, (laughs) game was yeah. The game was failing, it miserably, and they turned internally to their engineers and go. The CEO saw all my engineers are actually, they've hacked together a way for them to instant message each other and share information Mm. whilst they're developing this game. Maybe that could be our product. Yeah. So on and on and on. Twitter started out as a podcasting type service and then became Twitter. Google started out as a site just narrowly targeted at academic researchers finding research papers online. So Mm. you name the startup more often than not. It changed direction. So don't start with the idea. I'll tell you what you need to start with if you're an entrepreneur out there. Start with one thing, and that is an area you want to innovate in, a direction you hmm. want to go. Like, I really want to transform the restaurant business. I have a, a number of ideas. I don't know which ones are right, but I want to do this. And then the second thing you do is You don't build a product. (laughs) You don't spend time trying to raise money because you're not going to raise money at the early stage. What you do is you go out and find like-minded people who have the complementary skills you need to to actually execute on a vision that you have. And you spend 80% of your time first finding these people. Like, is there a great engineer out there that can work with me on this? Is there a great user experience, UI designer that I can bring in? You get Hmm. these people and they might have ideas too. So all of you have all these different ideas. Then you go into the restaurant business and you start to engage with people in that business. The owners, the chefs, Hmm. the waiters, the distributors, all the different people. And you start to discover where are their biggest headaches? Where are the areas that we could actually take technology out there? and transform these and give them value. And it's not a little Hmm. value. What I like to say is entrepreneurs in the real world, they aren't ones who come up with great ideas. They're ones who recognize great ideas. So, And this is just very counterintuitive because you think, oh, you're you're, you're the CEO. You should have the great idea. Well, Elon Musk didn't start Tesla. (laughs) That wasn't his idea. Right. Somebody else's company. Right. You look at Kalinick, the CEO exactly. of Uber. Uber. Yep, that's, that's
1: Exactly. Uber. Yep. He didn't right. start Uber.
0: He was an early investor in Uber. All the a lot of these companies, hmm. and then even the ones who get the ideas, it often wasn't the CEO who got it. It was somebody on the team or some customer or something they were engaging with where the idea came up. So your job is not just to hunt for ideas. But really more important than your idea, because so many ideas sound good and they don't work. The most important thing is demand. Great Mm. entrepreneurs are demand hunters. They go into the world and they look for pent up pockets of demand that aren't being met by anybody else. And these pockets of demand, if they aren't being met by anybody else and you come to them, even with a crude product, something that isn't fully formed, it yep. explodes because everybody's like, oh my God, like I was waiting no, for that this to is, come along. Yeah,
1: No, this is 100% true, right? Like, yeah. You know, even the examples that you gave with YouTube and with Slack, right? They, Those entrepreneurs, they found an issue, right? There was a hole in the market. There was a need that wasn't being met that they had. And I, and I talk about this a lot. I talk a lot about the frustrations that you experience in your life. Hey, if you're frustrated with something, if you can't find the solution to something, that's a great start because it's really personal to you, right? It's personal. You know how it feels to not have that need met. And entrepreneurs are problem solvers, right? They, in order to get what we want out of life, right? The quote goes, we have to help the most people get what they want. You know, help them achieve that. And I think entrepreneurs, and thank goodness for entrepreneurs, sometimes, you know, we get beat up, especially sometimes in politics or in the news or whatever, and thank this that there are people out there that will risk it all, right? They'll put it all out there in, in the pursuit of something. And a lot of people think that we're money hungry, and it's so much more than that. It gives us purpose, right? It gives us meaning. And I know, you know, those that are listening, they feel that they feel passion and you need it right getting through the startup phase is one of the most difficult if not the most difficult things you'll ever do and absolutely it's so rewarding and it's funny because when i went through my first startup i swore i was never going to go back right <laughs> i'm like i'm just going to bask you know go find a beach and and i realized after i made it you know with that first company whatever made it means right after i no longer was worrying about where we were going to get payroll or whatever I realized, man, that process is what it's all about. And I think part of it, Steve, I think part of the reason is because that's where I experienced the most personal growth was Mm -hmm. in the startup phase. Would you agree with that? That there's this this development, right?
0: incredibly challenging. It's emotionally challenging, financially Mm -hmm. challenging. You have relationships that often you don't attend to and they start to deteriorate. So all these different aspects of your life, you really, you have to make sure to push yourself a lot and you need to make sure to at the same time, keep things together, keep them in balance. And a lot of people, you know, we aren't trained or equipped to do that. So that yeah. is that's where some entrepreneurs step up to the plate and really make it happen and that's where others realize they aren't cut out to be an entrepreneur. It's not like yeah. a day job just doing a job is a better thing for them.
1: Exactly. That reminds me of a guy named Rory Vaden. He's a, you know, a personal brand expert and he wrote a book called Procrastinate on Purpose and in the book he talks about You know this pursuit of excellence for entrepreneurs, Mm. and he said that entrepreneurs have to embrace the focused imbalance, is what he called it. He's like, living a balanced life is kind of a scam. It's it's not a real thing for successful people. And what he meant by that was, if you're writing a book, you know you block off that time where you're you're hyper focused on the book. If you're on vacation with your family, you're hyper focused on your family. You're not multitasking and juggling all these things. And so, you know, I love that he said that. And I think it's especially important to entrepreneurs. And so when people are getting started, there's this period of their life where they're like, okay, this is going to be my hobby. I'm going to let people know, like my friends, hey, this is what I'm focused on. Hopefully we can grab drinks or grab dinner once a month or whatever, but it's not going to be this regular thing. Like I'm going to put that out there that I'm going to embrace the focused imbalance and I'm going to focus my time on this startup and it's going to be worth it in the end. You know, that was really a surprise to me how it affected my relationship, Steve. It, oh, yeah. That was a shock to me. I think the degree to which it affected my relationship. So what's an entrepreneur to do? What What's the right process so that they don't just toss the things that mean the most to them to the side in this process?
0: Well, I think it comes down to communication. You're going to be overwhelmed. You are going to not be able to put as much time into things in the past, like your relationships and and going on vacation and doing all these other things that you used to do. And that can pose a problem. But first of all, you need to get buy-in from the people around you. So from your family, from your friends, you need to say, look, for the next year, I'm going to be really focused on this startup. So you have to understand, I'm still going to work to keep up a relationship. I'm still going to try to see you, but the number of hours I can spend doing that, it's going to be impacted. I'm not going to be able to do it at the same level I was before. I hope you understand this isn't personal, like to you. It's just, I got to get over this hump with this startup. So communicating that not just once, but on a regular basis, really makes the difference because if people want to support you, they want to be helpful and you get their buy-in at the mm. beginning and don't, a lot of people just ignore it. Like they just change completely. Like they were seeing somebody once a week and then they stop seeing them, you know, and then the person's like left, like they, you know, getting annoyed, right. and angry, creating tension. And then you don't want to see them because there's this exactly. tension. And so saying that upfront and getting their buy-in and doing things and that can make all the difference.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Let's shift gears here a little bit, Steve. What do people need to get in order prior to seeking any amount of funding outside of friends and family? What are the steps for, you know, before they get to that process? Because I have a lot of people approach me that are way, way too early. And I can feel that they're too early, but I can't put my thumb on exactly why sometimes.
0: They are, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs waste a lot of time trying to raise capital before they have the necessary proof that there's really a huge pent-up demand out there mm-hmm. that isn't being met. So like I said, mm. demand hunting, that is what you need to do. Because mm. at the mm. end of the day, it, for smart investors, you know there are investors who invest in anything. But for smart investors, they are going to want to see, wow, they they figured out that there are all these people out there that need this thing and they're not getting it. And they have the team together and the skills to actually implement a solution into this market. And if they do, I can just extrapolate from the number of people that need it and the degree to which they need it that these guys will be successful. But if you don't have that, you don't have anything. You just have an idea. like You you have an idea with absolutely no proof. And honestly, people think, I tell entrepreneurs, the first thing you want to consider is don't pick an idea don't go after an idea that requires millions and millions of dollars to prove it even works. Now, hmm. if you're Elon Musk, famous, you know, you can go right. out there and raise gobs of money and say, I'm yeah. sending people to Mars, even though you have no idea whether that can work, right? Exactly. You can do it because you're Elon Musk. But most of us, you know, if you're not there yet, and Elon had to still put a ton of his money in at the beginning oh, yeah. to get that going. Mm-hmm. But if you're not at that level, there's an endless number of ideas, an infinite number of ideas out there. Pick one that you can do with the team you've assembled, the people that you've convinced that are Mm -hmm. really passionate about changing this business sector. What can you do when you just invest your time? And the beauty of today is you could do a heck of a lot without any capital. I mean, getting up on AWS is free. You just put your initial thing up there, but until you scale, you don't have to start paying. Yeah, All these other services cost almost nothing, getting up a website, hmm. getting up all these things, communicating with customers. These platforms are just so powerful and so inexpensive that you can make a huge progress. So don't waste time raising money at the beginning until you hit that extreme demand. When you have customers literally, beating down your door saying, I've got to have that product today. How can you get, can I, you get that? And you're like, uh, we need to grow our team. We need to grow our team to meet this demand that you get that in front of investors. Then they write you a check. They have no problem. Mm. Before you have that investors are going to be very reluctant. Like, that why should they write you a check if some other startup out there they can come to them exactly with, with proof that they're going to grow like crazy?
1: Yep, exactly. You know, pre-revenue is you know kind of something that gets tossed around a lot, and I'm always very leery of you know somebody that's looking to raise a bunch of money pre-revenue, right? Because my question is going to be, well, how do you know somebody's going to pay for that? Well, no, I have interest from my family, I have interest from my friends. Well, no, they're just supporting you, right? What's You know what's your proof of you know that there's this this demand right? There has to be something
0: more, right? To so they want to see real numbers. They like if you're B two B, they want to talk to the customer. Like if you're a smart investor, they would go talk to the customer, see if the customer really needs it. Hmm. If you're consumer. Like direct to consumer, you a lot of times they can talk to some consumers, but a lot of times you just have to put it out there, put out a minimum viable product on the market, start getting yeah. data. People are engaging with this. They're coming back They're You know, they really want hmm. this. You take that to investors. But let me tell you an even bigger thing. Now, if you want to create a highly scalable business, the type that venture capitalists I work with in Silicon Valley would invest in, and me myself, I would invest in, if you want to create one of these businesses, there are a few key things an entrepreneur needs to do. So, number one, you need to get out of your mind that we're just making a product. Like products are nice, but a lot of products don't work. They, they really hard to scale a business. So you see these on Kickstarter and Indiegogo and GoFundMe all the time. They'll put up like a gadget, a really cool gadget. People will, oh my God. And they'll buy the gadget, the numbers will go way up. And then they'll go way down, (laughs) like Pebble, the watch Pebble and all these different things. Now, the problem with this is if a customer comes to you, buys your product once, and then walks away and you never see them again, super hard business to scale. Yeah, Because your biggest cost in any business are your employees and customer acquisition. So if your number one rule is if you're going to build a great business out there, Go and find customers that when you capture them, which is really hard to do, however, through social media, through personal connections, through marketing, when you get that customer, you never let them go, which means that you create a virtuous cycle. You basically, you give them value and in return, they give you their attention and their money. Hmm. If you look at all the successful businesses, they have an ongoing relationship with their customers. And the next thing they do is the more the customers engage, not just with their product, but what I call a platform. And a platform is different than a product. This is what we go crazy over in Silicon Valley. A platform is an ecosystem where everybody benefits. So the more the customer engages with your platform, the more value they derive over time. Hmm. And the more value they create for everybody else using that platform. So I'll give you a super easy example. Salesforce. We all know Salesforce, this huge company done incredibly well. Why? Well, they were first with a great CRM software came out there, but today their CRM software is older. It's clunkier. It's Mm -hmm. not the easiest to use. There are other CRMs out there that are leaner, faster, cheaper, that could just wipe them off the map. Well, why is Salesforce so powerful? They're so powerful today because they created a whole ecosystem. So they basically have all their users in their platform, right? And the more people that use it, the more people that know how to use it, the more easier it is to spread through companies and keep it locked into big corporations, Hmm. which are their customers. Hmm. Also, they have these third-party developers developing all these apps and other add-ons to their ecosystem. So once somebody engages and they start using one of the third-party things, they get locked in because there can be a new CRM platform out there that's cheaper, faster, better, but that third-party thing that they really need yeah. is on that platform. And why isn't it on that new platform? Because the new platform doesn't have enough users to make the third-party developer jump over. So these ecosystems have this network effect. It means that you start to dominate the market, hmm. even without the best product. Like The value of the overall ecosystem is so yeah. great that people always come to you and you look at the Amazons out there, same thing. Facebook's out there, same thing. Google's out there with their ad network, same thing. Yeah. It doesn't matter what big company it is, this model is the model that they use. So when you're thinking of your launching your startup, don't think very narrowly, oh, I'm just going to do this one product. That's a good starting point. That's like the wedge that gets you in there. Then think mm-hmm. broader, where do I go from here?
1: Right. No, and I think it, You know, as we're wrapping up here, Steve, I think I think a mistake that I love that advice. I think it's spot on, but I also think that the startups need to focus on let's get that wedge right. Let's get in the oh, door. Oh, absolutely. Our vision is right. Facebook started as a network on you know you had to go to Harvard, then you had to have a .edu, and then right. So you you get in there, you you solidify your niche you, you know, you You you, show your MVP, Yes, but the vision is always bigger, right? I love how you said that, like when you're thinking of this, you know, the vision is we're going to get there, right? Steve Jobs, he always wanted the iPad, but he couldn't get there until he had the iPhone, right? Mm -hmm. And that the iPad was really his baby, but he didn't have the technology to do it. So I think it's the same, right? It's you start with kind of more narrow, so you can really dominate a niche. And then you let the floodgates open.
0: Yes, absolutely. You have to start with that core. That core is what's going to sell you. And then then you build out from there. But when you develop the core, you can still think of these fundamental principles. One, how do I get recurring revenue? How do I get a customer that can engage with me over a long period of time and not a short period and go away? Those things still apply.
1: Fantastic. I love it. Well, Steve, where can people reach out to you to learn more about all the things that you guys are doing at
0: Founderspace? Yeah, so if you want to reach out to me, contact me about your startup investment, anything. If you want to get my book, Surviving a Startup, just go to founderspace.com, founderspace.com. There's tons of videos and all this material to help startups. And you can also, if you just want to contact me, you can find, I'm on virtually every social network. So search for Steve Hoffman, Founderspace. LinkedIn is a great place.
1: Love it. Well, thanks so much for you know all the insights, Steve. Thanks for helping entrepreneurs and best of luck in the future.
0: Thank you, Alan. This has been wonderful.
1: <laughs> if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a rating. And for daily inspiration and business tips, follow Alan on Instagram. Until next time, remember, we build the future one entrepreneur at a time.